Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition, the Election Day edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you, Jim. And hopefully folks got a chance to hear our preview and prediction episode of the podcast on Monday. If you haven't, go ahead and listen to that today, and then you can find out how brilliant or ridiculous we are based on the results that we get tonight and in some cases over the next couple of days. But uh, Jim, this is kind of the, the weird waiting time. We hear anecdotal stuff about how long lines are in various places. Some folks are biting their fingernails waiting for early exit poll rounds, which are, I don't know how you calibrate those now with all this early voting and one party liking it and one party not. But uh, how do you sit around and wait on election day? I write my big picture pieces. I I think it's pretty clear. We don't know how big the Republican wins are going to be tonight, but we know it's, it's likely to be a very good year for them. It's a historical pattern, et cetera, et cetera. The two thoughts I have on what happens on Election Day, if you haven't watched the documentary The War Room, which was about Carville and the top folks in the Bill Clinton campaign in 1992, even if you can't stand Bill Clinton, go watch it just because one, I mean, now it's a piece of history. But two, it's this interesting example of what it's like at the you know, inside the room uh, at the top levels of a presidential campaign when Bill Clinton was running what was at the time a something of an upset victory in the 92 election. But on election day, Carville's like, I, I think almost literally sitting there twiddling his thumbs. There's nothing <laughs> left to do. There's no, no more ads to cut, no more spin, no more messaging. It's just a matter of people going out and voting. Um, so that's always kind of remarkable. It's like the quietness of the campaign office. Nothing's happening. And then the second thing is, I don't know about you, Greg, but it feels like every little bit of anecdotal evidence about turnout that people get from standing outside a polling place Greg, I'm here outside my local polling place, and there were long lines this morning pointing to heavy turnout. But by mid-morning, the lines had disappeared. Then at lunch, the lines returned. (laughs) But by mid-afternoon, the lines had disappeared, pointing to low turnout. But now we're shortly before polls close, and there's a long line. Almost like people vote before work, in the middle of the day, and at the end of the day after work. (laughs) Same pattern. Happens every single year. But everybody, like, oh, big lines in the morning. Yes, that's when a lot of people go to vote. Where was the documentary from the 2016 Clinton campaign? I would have loved to watch that night <laughs> unfold in real time. That would have been the awesome. Surrender room. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's not even our actual martini today. But uh, anyway, final projections are in. I see Larry Sabato's got Republicans taking the Senate 51-49. Interestingly, he's got Pennsylvania flipping and neither of the southwestern states. So I found that kind of interesting. He's got 237 for the GOP in the House, which is more than enough. But uh, let's get to our good martini today, Jim. And uh, based on how well Republicans do today, I I think it's going to impact this particular story in the near term. But it looks like the Democrats and their allies in the media are already setting the stage for you know, we don't really need Joe Biden to run again in 2024. Uh, Example number one from the Washington Post, a column from Jen Rubin saying Donald Trump is losing steam. Even his nicknames have gotten weaker. Biden, therefore, need not feel compelled to run. So therefore, uh, she's trying to set the stage for we could probably get somebody else to run against Donald Trump if, in fact, uh, Trump runs again, which foreshadows a uh, another martini today. Uh, and then also in the Washington Post uh, from Glenn Kessler, analysis, a bottomless Pinocchio for Biden and other recent gaps. And there's been a ton of lies from Biden lately on drilling and debt and student loans and a whole bunch of other stuff as he's tried to rally support around the country. So, Jim, we've seen this kind of 
edging in this direction, but uh, do you expect this to be an avalanche if Republicans do as well as, as we predicted yesterday? Well, Greg, I want to begin by thanking you for starting by citing examples of Jen Rubin and Glenn Kessler. Listeners may or may not have noticed that I'm writing for the Washington Post a bit more frequently these days. And I'd just like to make a public service announcement that the Washington Post is awesome. <laughs> Everyone who writes for the Washington Post, every last one of them. Please don't Kevin Williams and me. Um, <laughs> so, I, but I do think there's something, there is a useful indicator in both of those. And just the general sense, we've known that Joe Biden was very old and that, you know, he would be the oldest president ever, that once in office, he would only get older. The presidency tends to age people. And I think we could, I, I you know, for the good of the country, even if it makes things a little bit tougher for Republicans in 2024, I think it's good for the country if the Democrats look at this and say, you know, this is just not working out the way we hoped. Inflation is very high. Um, gas prices are high. Grocery prices are high. Democrats may look at the issues of the border and immigration uh, differently than we do, but I think they can recognize waves and waves of migrants coming over the border is endlessly is not always a good thing. Crime doesn't help anybody, even though Democrats have been kind of lackadaisical about it. I think you can look at this issue after issue and say this presidency has not, this administration hasn't worked out the way Democrats hoped, and it is reasonable for them to look at other options. Um, I, I really am very curious. We saw, if not outright, modern monetary theory, uh, the idea that government can print as much money as it wants and, and you know, it doesn't matter because it controls the printing press, it can borrow as much as it wants. Look, we kind of had that for the first two years. The Biden administration and Democratic Congress borrowed and spent as much as they felt they wanted to, and we're living with the consequence in the form of inflation. So I'm really wondering, what does the Democratic Party become if it cannot borrow, tax, and spend as much as it wants? I don't. I think I don't think they've put much thought into what they would be and what their identity would be, if they didn't have that as an option. So um, I'm encouraged to see this, and I would encourage Democrats not just as a you know oh I don't like Joe Biden. I think you can objectively say um, his policies have not worked out. He's not a terribly eloquent or persuasive speaker under the best of circumstances, and these are not the best of circumstances. He turns 80 this month. He'll be 81 when he's running for re-election. It just strikes me as inconceivable that he could be well into his 80s and president in a second term. We all kind of know, we can all see him, we can all watch him. We know he's you know, the crazy stories and, you know, oh, I passed the, my uh, student loan bill by two votes and, you know, the economy is strong as hell. And, he, you know, like this is getting kind of sad. So Democrats, if you really are looking at other options, I say good for you. I think you will, you and the country will be better off if you say, all right. He beat Trump. That's what we wanted him to do as president. Thank you for your service. It's, here's your gold watch. Go off and enjoy retirement and look at other options because I think that it's safe. You know, sticking with something that isn't working isn't going to be good for the Democrats, but it's also really not going to be good for the country. But the Democrats aren't going to learn anything if they don't do well tonight, right? I mean, they're, they're going to dump Biden because they need somebody to blame and he's probably not up for another two years, much less six years of this. So uh, they they think he's a liability at this point. And so they're going to look for somebody else to uh, do a better job of pushing their agenda. It's not like they're going to follow your advice and find somebody like a John Bell Edwards, who's, you know, more acceptable to a wider swath of the country than somebody who's going to be more articulate and hammering the far left agenda that they've got right now, which and I think you and Chad might have talked about the Saturday Night Live uh, skit about the, the horror movie where everybody's fed up with Biden and then they go through the list of possible replacements and it's Kamala and Hillary and I can't remember who else was on the list. And in the end, they circle back to Biden because he's still better than the other names that immediately pop into their heads. So, you know, Newsom, I'm sure Buttigieg, 
uh, whoever else, uh, maybe a couple of governors like Jared Polis or something, uh, would try to throw their hat into the ring. But ultimately, it's, you know, if Biden refuses to go away, it's going to be hard to, to, to shove him out of the way. But but you never know. Maybe they will. But uh, in the end, uh, they've got a problem. And it's not just that their president is fading uh, mentally and has been a failure, but uh, their agenda is one that the American people, I don't think, want. So, Greg, first of all, I'm going to say, make the observation, I think Joe Biden looks pretty shovable. <laughs> not not the greatest sense of balance, not the, the biggest, strongest guy. Secondly, uh, yeah, I think that Saturday Night Live sketch was uncharacteristically funny because it was acknowledging the uncomfortable truth in the room. Uh, and I also think like, it was almost like the creative staff at Saturday Night Live telling its viewers, you know, we probably can't go into 2024 with Biden which means we're going to have to pick somebody else and it's probably going to be messy. So you better buckle your safety belts and, and you know, brace yourself because it's probably going to be a bumpy road from here on out. Um, so I, maybe that's just me, but it struck me as an interesting theme for them to have in one of their last uh, shows before election day. And then just finally, thirdly, um, you know, uh, John Thompson of Georgetown university used to say uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Just because Democrats are going to scapegoat Joe Biden doesn't mean he doesn't deserve a good chunk of the blame for these midterm elections and the state of the country. So I do kind of, yes, you know, they're going to try to find somebody else who they feel can sell the liberal or progressive message better. And they probably will not, you know, select someone who you and I see as a dramatic improvement. But I think going back to the basement campaign, I mean, back from like early, early 20, 2019, we could see Joe Biden had gotten a lot older and he was not the same guy we were used to when he was vice president. And basically for like the last three years, it's been, no, 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 your eyes are deceiving you. He's fine. And we can all see that he's not fine. And so that's why I think this is a step in the right direction for the Democrats. But I suppose only time will tell. Well, be curious to see the timing on all of that, but he'll have to do it fairly quickly, right? Because campaigns ramp up pretty fast after the midterm. Mm. So we'll see. And we'll see just how well the Republicans do. Uh, that could complicate things if they don't do as well as we expect. Uh, before we move on to our bad martini today, Jim, let's talk about our great sponsor for today, and that is ExpressVPN. First of all, ExpressVPN does a fantastic job of securing your online activity, but also expands your entertainment options. In fact, Netflix, without using ExpressVPN, is kind of like paying for a gym membership, but only being allowed to use the treadmill. ExpressVPN allows you to change your online location so you can control where you want Netflix or any other streaming service to think that you're located. They have almost 100 different server locations, so you can gain access to thousands of new shows. And it works with lots of other streaming services too, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and more. You can stream in HD with zero buffering. It's compatible with all your devices. ExpressVPN has the added benefit of encrypting your data so you can browse the web securely. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash martini. Don't forget to use our link at expressvpn.com slash martini to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And this is kind of a, a double-fisted bad martini. But uh, one of the things that comes along with anecdotal Stories about voting lines and that sort of thing is election malfunctions. And that's what we're getting from a number of people in Maricopa County, Arizona, which is significant because there are two very significant races there. And 
Others would argue that they're even more than just Senate and governor, of course. And, uh, you know, Maricopa County is the bulk of the population in the state of Arizona. And so early in the morning, this was the message that a long line of voters got from a poll worker there about how the vote counting machines are not working. So what happens is we have two tabulators. One of the tabulators is not working, okay? The other tabulator is taking about 75% successful. So 25% of them are being misread, and it could be a printer issue, um, or it could be the tabulator itself. So when it's misread, you have an option to put it into what's called box three, and it gets read, whether it goes downtown and gets read manually, or whether it gets refed in into our tabulator. We don't want to adjudicate. get read, no. okay? So no one's trying to <laughs> deceive anybody. And so some people are saying stay in line, they'll get them fixed. Others are pointing out which locations are working. And so if people head over there, if they have the time, those lines are going to get long. Hopefully they don't run out of ballots. It's kind of a mess. And Jim, it's Katie Hobbs' job to make sure elections run well in the state of Arizona. But apparently that's one of the things she doesn't uh, like to do is her job in addition to not debating. So uh, big, big surprise there. But at the same time, we're seeing things from a lot of different networks and a lot of different media outlets saying, look, we're not going to know the winners tonight. It's going to take days and days and days and days. ABC News even calling it a red mirage or what they call an artificial GOP vote lead because they'll count the in-person vote first tonight and that will show the Republicans in a lot of cases having a big lead. And then once the uh, mail-in ballots uh, are, are tabulated, that will uh, benefit Democrats. And so whatever the results are tonight, they're going to get better for Democrats as time goes on. And while that may be the case, it shouldn't be the case. It's ridiculous that it takes days and days and days to get this done. It even happened in the Republican uh, Senate primary in Pennsylvania that was so close with Dr. Oz earlier this year. All other countries tend to have it done really quickly in a day, two at the max. Florida seems to have the benchmark here. They get it done. It's a huge state. They get it done quickly. I can't figure out why other states don't just follow their lead. Greg, at the risk of living down to my stereotype and in honor of my trip coming up later this week, <laughs> there is indeed a lot to unpack here. Um, my first thought is if you're online in Maricopa County or, or really anywhere in the country and you have some sort of issue at your polling place, stick around. Make sure your vote is counted. Make sure that your vote is going into the proper pile and things like this. Um, we've spent something like $5 billion on our elections and for equipment and security and all these other improvements. Uh, oh, since 2003, you're really there. I'm sitting here and thinking, like, did they not test this equipment before they opened up the doors today? Did, did, did Election Day sneak up on you? It's always the same time of year, guys. Always that, you know, first Tuesday in November. Now, maybe you've got a uh, you know, look there. You know, the entire country is voting simultaneously. It, it was almost inevitable that some county somewhere, some polling place somewhere was going to have a glitch, was going to have a machine not work correctly blow a fuse, you know, these sorts of things happen. And by the way, Greg, you can say Katie Hobbs is doing a really lousy job as the Arizona Secretary of State. She can say she's doing a really good job, but I think she's not going to sit there and debate with you <laughs> or anyone really. I find this, you know, increasingly frustrating. And if you don't want people to buy into conspiracy theories about elections being stolen and votes being changed and stuff like that. Well, one solution is to have it as open as possible, which I think is really you know, almost a, you know, a necessity. The Republican Party does have an enormous amount of poll watchers in place, and I have yet to hear about them saying there's some sort of inappropriate shenanigans going on. 
Um, but even more, like, again, we grew up hearing who the winner was on election night, and we kind of say, wait, what's going on here? Why is this now so much more difficult? Now, some of this is a challenge because certain states, notably Pennsylvania and I believe Wisconsin, don't allow uh, polling places or election workers to start counting the mail-in ballots or the early votes before election day. I think, you know, considering how it happens in so many other states, you don't see leaks of who has so many votes and stuff like that. If 40 some states can make this work, I think Wisconsin and Pennsylvania should be able to make this work for them as well. And that is going to slow up the results in it. And oh, by the way, Pennsylvania has arguably the most consequential Senate race of the year. Very easy to control. The Senate could come down to it. And already Wisconsin and Pennsylvania have said, yeah, we're we're probably not going to know the answer tonight. Could be well into tomorrow. Now, we should be seeing fewer people voting by mail because people aren't as concerned about COVID-19 now as they were two years ago. Uh, up in New York State, I think they they sent out like a half million and I think like 109,000 are back. So this may not be the huge factor that it was two years ago, but it's still kind of frustrating. One of the other factors that I think would be a big help, this is the sort of thing that Democrats would scream is ludicrously repressive, and I don't think it is. First of all, I believe in you know early a certain amount of time for early voting is fine. Certain states, including I think Virginia, are up to like 42 states. You can start casting ballots in like late September. I think that's ridiculous and excessive, but I would like to reach a point where all ballots are due at the exact same time. That means when the polls close tonight, every ballot's got to be be in there. Now, certain states will allow you to, you know, will count a vote that arrives after election day. In a lot of cases, as long as it's postmarked by election day, and that's at least somewhat reasonable. But then you have states like, like, well, we'll count them even if they're not postmarked or the post, this postmark is smudged or it's unclear or something like that. And that's where you get into the situation of, wait, are we certain we're not counting votes that were cast after election day, which obviously would be illegal and would be unfair. So I want to have one clear deadline for everybody in a locality, everybody in a state, you got to get your votes in by this time period. There is no exceptions. There is no, you know, well, you tried, all that kind of stuff. Voting is a right, but it is also a responsibility. You have an obligation to fill out your form properly. You have an obligation to fill out your ballot request properly. We expect you to take this duty seriously. Um, and then again, like you know, we're going to see in the overwhelming majority of states tonight, they're going to have all their election, the results in pretty quickly by tonight. It's really just a handful we're going to be wondering about. And it is unfortunate that some, not all, some are run by Democrats. Republicans will complain. Some are run by Republicans and Democrats will complain. I do think Florida is this giant, you know, you know Florida, you are a role model. We're not always a huge fan of Florida man who's shoplifting live crabs and putting them in his pants and stuff like that. But Florida, you are in a shining success when it comes to counting the votes quickly, clearly, and transparently and efficiently, with the possible exception of Palm Beach County. <laughs> but they that, that's why they're better, because they actually decided to do something about it after 2000. So uh, if Jeb Bush says, please clap about that, we should, because he actually got that right. Uh, and so... Florida learned its lesson. Others seem to refuse to. And so for these other states that have a mountain of absentee ballots, I don't like it. I agree with you. I think you should have to be basically bedridden to, to do that. Have a few days of early voting to help ease the lines on Election Day, maybe. Uh, and I think that just gives more people more confidence and you can count the votes faster. But if you're going to have these piles of absentee ballots, none of this, eh, we'll pick it up again in the morning crap. If yes. you're, you, you, you have two long nights a year if you have a competitive primary. Suck it up, count the votes, hire more people to do it. It's not that complicated. Get it done ASAP because the longer it takes, the more people are going to think you're pulling something. Greg, we're tired. 
<laughs> no. Nobody not told good us election day was going to be today. Jim, you know we had to test the machines before Tuesday. <laughs> you ever, uh, you ever, you know, in the morning go, you know, Rich, I really would love to get a morning jolt out today, but you know, it was a long night last night. The Jets are on, and you know, it's how about this afternoon, or maybe just do it, do it tomorrow. Yeah, it doesn't work. I've tried it. But, you know. <laughs> That's how the rest of us work. We have deadlines and we get stuff done when we're supposed to. So come on, we respect your service, but uh, get it done. That's how we build trust in the system. All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And this time we're going to hammer the Republicans a little bit. Uh, For the most part, and I stress most part, it's been a fairly united party during this midterm election season, especially once the primaries were done and we were... Moving full steam, Biden's popularity remained in the tank. The opportunities were all over the place. But some people just can't wait another day or two to move on to 2024. Last night, President Trump was in Ohio, and I have to assume it was his people that was putting out the feelers that President Trump might announce his 2024 presidential campaign tonight, which had me uh, with a slightly higher blood pressure than when, when I, before I said that. I'm like, like the, the focus today has to be the failure of President Biden and the Democrats and their extreme agenda on everything from schools to the economy to the culture and everything else down the line. Uh, so Trump ultimately didn't do that, but promised a really, 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 really important announcement next week from Mar-a-Lago, which I assume will be that. Uh, meanwhile, on the Republican Senate side, uh, there's more rumblings that Rick Scott is going to mount a challenge to Mitch McConnell as GOP leader. I don't know how much it's going to matter if Republicans have control as to whether he still wants to do that or Mitch still wants the job. But uh, in the end, uh, there seems to be an uh, intra-party fight brewing there. So, uh, Jim, I mean, parties have their squabbles. It's great to sort them out. Why can't we wait 48 hours to make this stuff public? First on Trump, I think almost everyone has strongly suspected Trump would be running again in 2024. Every once in a while, I'll run into somebody who says, ah, I'm not so sure, you know, Trump might be afraid of being a two-time loser, you know, he might prefer to be kingmaker instead of king. Look, very little of what comes out of Trump on Truth Social or that he says on these rallies or that he says in these interviews, almost nothing indicates that he is not interested in running. In fact, he seems like he's extremely interested in running. I suppose what you could say we saw last night was the announcement of the announcement. Uh, Watch your watch November 15th. I think Trump has helped Republicans by holding off. Uh, It really sounds like as of yesterday, there was like about a 50 50 chance he was going to announce it. This says to me, this be like, remember like in Missouri where he endorsed Eric in the Senate race when there were two candidates named Eric? Yes. Trump wanted to be able to take credit if there is a good GOP wave and say, ah, see, you know, the Republicans won because everybody loves me. Or, but he also didn't want to come out and, you know, be, be scapegoated for it if for some reason Republicans don't win the way everyone expects them to. So that was his way of hinting, nudging, winking, nodding, you know, nodding, all that, but not really getting uh, himself out there. First of all, you mentioned that, you know, these races usually begin early. Back in the 2007, 2008 years, it was January that so many Democrats announced they were running for against uh, in the what would eventually be, you know, after the two terms of George W. Bush. I think it's a really bad idea to announce you're running for president before the midterm elections are over. And I, whoever, you know, had Trump's ear apparently convinced him of this, that if it's ridiculous, honestly, I think it's ridiculous to do it. Um, in the January of two years before the presidential year. And I really think we don't need it before spring 
of next year, uh, you know, there'd be plenty of time. You know, we're, we we don't really do. Nobody cares about the uh, the Ames straw poll anymore. There's really no reason for us to start these things before summer of the previous year. I assume we're going to have the pri- earliest primaries in January again. Probably going to be Iowa and New Hampshire, although I think there's been some noises about not letting Iowa go first because apparently they can't count votes out there. Um, you know, Nevada, South Carolina, all those ones. First of all, I'd love to see that process get changed up, but it's probably going to begin in January of 2024, which means we have all of 2023, which means there's no need to start it this soon. Nonetheless, I think I think Donald Trump is bored. I think Donald Trump likes to be at the center of the action, likes to be the center of attention. And the fact that Republicans were having a big year. And oh, by the way, a lot of people think Ron DeSantis is not just going to win tonight, but he's going to romp. And maybe that's going to generate a lot of momentum for him as a presidential candidate. That Trump just wanted to be in the middle of the story again. Now, thankfully, he did not. We'll see how that shakes out. As for Senate Majority Leader, look, I, you know, it's a free country. Rick Scott can run against him. Mitch, McC- Mitch McConnell has been getting up there in years. No, oh, by the way, Greg, you said that if Mitch McConnell wants a job, come on. <laughs> Mitch if they're still in the minority, if they're still in the minority, I'm oh, not sure. Still, ah, I don't know. I, I don't see him turning over the reins to anybody else uh, before he absolutely has to. But maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe if it's a disappointment, he'd be ready to, to turn things over. Rick Scott's been effectively running the NRSC this year. I think you can argue um, he tried to put out a policy proposals that Democrats have been hammering on for trying to for claiming it would want to cut Social Security and other entitlement programs. I like Rick Scott. I, you know, my attitude in a Republican Senate, you know, leadership battle would be let the best man win. I think both these guys have a chance to make a case. I think if you feel like we have excessively geriatric leadership, I like Mitch McConnell more than I like Biden and Nancy Pelosi, but he is getting up there in years. But also McConnell has been very shrewd and crafty over the years. He knows how to you know use the Senate exactly the way he wants to. One of my few disagreements is he doesn't want Republicans running on one coherent set of policies in a midterm election year. Kevin McCarthy took a different approach, had the House doing it. It looks like it's going to work out pretty well for the House. So there's a reasonable debate to be had there. But I'd like until Election Day, every Republican pulling their oars in the same direction. And then you could have these kinds of arguments. But we will see how things shake out tonight, Greg. No, that's exactly right. And so, uh, Jim, I voted early. And uh, where I am, and I think it's the same with you, it's literally just the House of Representatives race where we are because all the Virginia stuff is in odd-numbered years and there's no Senate race here. But uh, for those of you who live elsewhere, remember my golden rule of polling place strategy. Always take the Democratic sample ballot because uh, you want to make sure uh, what who not to vote for and what not to vote for <laughs> as you go down on the ballot on proposals and, and lower tier candidates, just in case you're not sure of everything that's on the ballot. Take the GOP sample ballot, too, because while the Democratic ballot will tell you who not to vote for, depending on how many candidates are in the race, the Republican sample ballot can uh, help clarify that as well, particularly in some of those things that are not officially party related. Uh, that gets a little tricky judicial races and so forth. So anyway, know what you're doing when you head into the polls, but most importantly, get out there and vote. Today's the last day to do it, of course. So uh, make your voice heard. Jim, we'll have plenty to talk about tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. And uh, please tell a friend about us as well. Uh, Thanks also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, remember to get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Remember Jim's brand new novel, Gathering Five Storms, the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Great holiday gifts, and we're getting closer and closer to the holidays. Finally, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at 
Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Tuesday. Get out there and vote. Do not forget to vote if you haven't done so already. And we'll have plenty to talk about tomorrow on the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. You know, some of the most important news of the day is not covered in a lot of media outlets. I'm Byron York from The Byron York Show. In my latest episodes, I discuss how midterm elections are less than a week away. Republicans appear to have it in the bag as far as winning the House is concerned. But what about the Senate? Also, there is the spin war that is going on over the bizarre attack on Paul Pelosi in San Francisco. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the No Chit Chat podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.